Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to the January 8th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Darlene Ball with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Let's get started with news from our appellate courts. SIGA prevailed in a half-billion-dollar reinsurance claim against AIG. AIG subsidiary U.S. Life provided reinsurance for five California workers' compensation insurers between 1998 and 2003. The reinsurance contract contained an arbitration provision. The five reinsured companies were liquidated in 2000 and claims were transferred to the California Insurance Guarantee Association, SIGA. U.S. Life claimed on appeal that the insolvent insurers did not disclose pertinent information about the adequacy of its reserves. They also claimed there were irregularities in the arbitration process in violation of federal law. The arbitration panel found no basis for rescission of the reinsurance contracts during the first phase of the arbitration. However, they did reform the reinsurance contract so that U.S. Life became liable for only 90% of the risks because of their failure to be forthright during the contract formation period. A second phase of the arbitration was a review of each of nearly 100,000 underlying claims to determine if there was improper claim handling. U.S. Life's experts selected 50 of over 12,000 contested claims for an audit, as did the opposing expert. The two experts had divergent opinions, which the arbitration panel called a stalemate. To break the stalemate, the arbitration panel appointed two additional experts. The panel ultimately awarded $517 million. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit in San Francisco upheld the award in a published opinion this week. Insurance Commissioner Poisner was pleased with the result, noting that this will be of financial help for SIGA. U.S. Life can seek a review of the ruling or ask that a larger panel of appeals court judges rehear the case. In our next case, Raymond Kosky, an admitted gang member, was being investigated by the LAPD for assault with a deadly weapon. He did not comply with police commands to turn around and place his hands over his head. Kosky also resisted handcuffing and being put into the police car. Once in the police car, Kosky kicked out the car window, causing injury to an officer. Between four to six officers assisted in finally restraining him. Nonetheless, Kosky denied resisting arrest or making Kang-related statements. In, this, in his criminal case, Kosky filed what is known as a Pitches motion. A Pitches motion allows a criminal defendant to discover any allegations made to a department of misconduct by a police officer. Kosky's motion was very broadly worded in scope. The trial court granted the Pitches motion. The order required the city to provide Kosky with complaints relating to workers' compensation or disability claims made by the officer. The LAPD challenged the order insofar as it included workers' compensation claims and filed a petition for a writ of mandate with the Court of Appeal. The Court of Appeal granted the petition and agreed with the city. They held that these items were not relevant to Kosky's claim that he did not resist arrest or make any gang-related statements or that he was a victim of an illegal detention and excessive force. The court held that only documentation of past officer misconduct, which is similar to the misconduct alleged by the defendant in the pending litigation, is relevant and therefore subject to discovery. The Superior Court was ordered to vacate the Pitches motion with respect to discovery of workers' compensation claims. 
An injured worker lost his appeal of a serious and willful case this week. Valdemar Sanchez, along with his co-worker Alan Haynes, were hired by Kinley Construction as general laborers. They worked on the replacement of an underground fuel tank at a naval base in Point Loma. About four days after being hired, Haynes began to use an eight-ton compactor after receiving only five to ten minutes of instruction. The compactor came into contact with Sanchez, and Haynes panicked, mistakenly causing the compactor to move forward rather than backwards. This caused serious injuries to Sanchez. Sanchez settled his comp case for $60,000 and proceeded to trial on the serious and willful misconduct claim. The WCJ concluded that the actions of the employer, while negligent, did not rise to the level of serious and willful misconduct. Agreeing with the WCJ, the WCAB denied the employee's petition for reconsideration. The Court of Appeal agreed that the WCAB appropriately concluded that negligence alone does not support a claim for serious and willful misconduct. To support a claim for serious and willful misconduct, an employer must know of a dangerous condition and deliberately proceed despite a likely risk of injury. There was no indication the employer knowingly or deliberately failed to take corrective action or acted with a positive, active, wanton, reckless, and absolute disregard of possibly damaging consequences. The Court of Appeal denied the petition for review in an unpublished opinion. And finally, Governor Schwarzenegger is losing his battle in appellate courts to balance the budget by imposing furloughs on state workers. The WCAB and other state agencies have faced state-imposed furloughs, slowing down a system that, is al that already cannot meet mandatory time limits. Employee unions quickly filed lawsuits. This week, a Superior Court judge ordered Governor Schwarzenegger to halt thrice-monthly furloughs for tens of thousands of state workers. The court said the administration overstepped its authority in ordering the unpaid days off. The judge stated that the governor's use of furloughs was an abuse of discretion and that he violated a mandatory duty to take into account the agency's varying needs before reducing workplace hours. A spokesperson for Schwarzenegger said the governor would appeal the decision. The governor's office believes that ultimately this will be decided by the state Supreme Court. A spokesperson said that the governor absolutely has the authority to issue furloughs and he feels that the state Supreme Court will rule in his favor. And next, some medical news. Hospital-acquired infections are a major problem in medicine and in workers' compensation. When they occur to an injured worker, the infection often becomes a very costly compensable consequence of the initial industrial injury. About 27 million surgeries are done just in the United States each year. And in as many as half a million cases, infections occur at the site of the surgery. Up to 30% of those infections are caused by strains of the bacterium Staphylococcus aureus, which otherwise benignly resides in the nose and on the skin. Researchers in the Netherlands said they were able to cut the risk of an infection by nearly 60% by first looking for signs of it in the nose and then treating it with an antibiotic nasal gel and full body wash. The treatment combination also shaved two days off a typical 14-day hospital stay. 
the 504 patients were treated with the antibiotic nose gel known as Bacterban and washed with a common ingredient in mouthwash. This study was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Hopefully, these new procedures will be used more frequently in surgeries for industrially injured workers so that risk of infection can be reduced. A new NCCI research brief discussed narcotic drug use in national workers' compensation claims. Narcotics account for nearly one-quarter of all workers' compensation prescription drug costs. This national survey shows that narcotics costs per claim vary by state. Not unexpectedly, California, along with eight other states, are ranked as above average in terms of narcotic claims costs. However, it is utilization, not price, that accounts for the regional differences. More than 44% of dollars paid and 32% of prescriptions written for narcotics are for claims involving back injuries. A California Workers' Compensation Institute study in June 2008 found that doctors prescribed opioids in 25% of all sprain and strain back injuries. The ACOM guidelines sanction opioid therapy for this class of injuries, and indeed, the new California Chronic Pain Guideline does as well. The good news is that the FDA is in the process of establishing a federal program to ensure the safe, appropriate use of narcotics. The FDA claims that despite existing efforts to address the risks associated with opioid drugs, misuse and abuse are increasing. Data with multiple sources, including Centers for Disease Control, also indicate increasing misuse and abuse of prescription opioid analgesic medications over the past decade. And now, some news from the DWC. Many claims administrators still have questions about utilization review and spinal surgery second opinion process following the Enbanc Cervantes decision. The decision became final on December 14 and is now binding. To help sort out any confusion, the administrative director published a comprehensive guideline. A claims administrator that receives a valid request for authorization for spinal surgery has only 10 calendar days to complete the utilization review process. If the spinal surgery is not authorized as requested, they must also file within the same 10 days the objection to the treating physician's recommendation for spinal surgery in the proper manner. A valid request for authorization must be a doctor's first report of occupational injury or illness, a PR2, or a narrative that states, Request for authorization at the top. The 10 calendar day time limit begins to run upon receipt of a valid request by the claims office or the utilization review organization. A claims administrator may authorize the requested spinal surgery at any time. However, a claims administrator that fails to complete utilization review within the 10 calendar day time limit will be required to authorize the surgery as requested. A request for more information from the physician in spinal surgery cases does not extend the deadline for decision to 14 calendar days. The utilization review decision date cannot be extended beyond the 10th calendar day. In the case of disputed spinal surgeries, the parties may not use the regular AME-QME process. Compliance audits will review files to determine if these guidelines were met in cases where requests were received for spinal surgery by a claims administrator on or after December 14. It is suggested that claims offices download, read, and follow all of the two-page guideline. The guideline can be found on the WorkComp Academy or DWC website. According to the year-end Cheswick Annual Report, lien claim filings are on the rise again. Most liens are for medical treatment and medical legal expenses. 
lien claim backlogs were a problem as far back as 1997. Data showed about a third of a million of them filed in 2000, which doubled to nearly three-quarter million in 2003. The solution was Labor Code Section 4903.5 in 2002, which specified time limits for filing old liens and the imposition of a $100 filing fee for liens in 2003. Following this change, lien filings were reduced to less than a quarter million in 2005. However, in 2006, the $100 lien filing fee was repealed. The next year, lien filings increased again, and in 2007, annual filings were back to nearly three-quarter million, close to record high. The number of lien decisions by the WCAB increased by over 130% between 2000 and 2007. Filing, processing, and adjudicating liens places an enormous burden on the already strained workers' compensation courts. Cheswick recommends that a stakeholder roundtable be convened to identify ways to reduce the number of liens. And here is our fraud report. The Employers Fraud Task Force will meet on Monday at the Disneyland Hotel to celebrate last year's successful prosecutions. It was a good year with many arrests and convictions. Yet, this news from Connecticut may demonstrate that maybe we have not seen all the ways we might be deceived. Consider the case of Mark Villeneuve, a Connecticut licensed lawyer who lives in Augusta, Maine. His professional standing is under attack because Connecticut officials believe he lied multiple times when he applied for a staff attorney position to the State Workers' Compensation Commission. Villeneuve did far more than embellish a job title or try to cover up a period of unemployment. He claimed to have graduated cum laude from Western New England College School of Law in 2004 and to have served as the Law Review's assistant note editor. Yes, he was a WNEC grad, but he was neither cum laude nor a Law Review editor. Villeneuve also stated that he was employed at the law offices of Gene Smith in Meridian, Connecticut a firm that he said handled all types of workers' comp matters. It turns out that no such firm exists. State officials say the inconsistencies on the job application were revealed after Villeneuve had interviewed in person for the Workers' Compensation Commission position. But Villeneuve is claiming that he never applied for the job and never appeared for that interview in February 2008. He says someone must have stolen his identity and pretended to be him. The statewide grievance committee isn't buying it. They want the superior court to mete out the appropriate punishment. Villeneuve, who has responded to the grievance complaint in writing only, has moved to dismiss the case. And in other news, Long Beach presiding workers' compensation judge Joseph Rebeck has retired effective December 30, 2009. He was appointed as a workers' compensation judge in 1976 and has been presiding judge of the Long Beach District Office since 1983. Judge Rebick was the longest sitting workers' compensation judge in the system and the longest presiding judge presiding over Long Beach District Office for more than 26 years. Judge Rebick expects to continue working with the Long Beach District Office on a part-time basis as an annuitant handling the asbestos calendar and other special assignments. The Long Beach District Office adjudicates approximately 70% of all asbestos workers' compensation cases in the state of California, and Judge Rebeck has special expertise in asbestos litigation. Another popular judge, Pamela Faust, left the Marina Del Rey office of the WCAB in December. 
Judge Faust practiced workers' compensation law until 1985, when she became a workers' compensation judge. Judge Faust has joined the Zenith Insurance Company in Woodland Hills. And here's what's coming up next week. This Monday, January 11th, the Employers Fraud Task Force will hold an all-day conference and awards ceremony at the Disneyland Hotel. Guests include John Duncan, the Director of Department of Industrial Relations. Carrie Nevins, the Acting Director of the Division of Workers' Compensation. Christine Baker, from the Commission on Health, Safety and Workers' Compensation. Rick Pleen, from the California Department of Insurance Fraud Division. Tony Rakakis, Orange County District Attorney. Al McKenzie, Los Angeles District Attorney's Office, and many others. There are many interesting topics that will be presented by speakers throughout the day. Please contact Laura Clifford at 714-637-3350 for more information. Also, the Long Beach Bar Association has scheduled a farewell dinner for retiring Judge Joseph Rebeck at the, at the Hyatt Regency in Long Beach on next Thursday, January 14th at 6 p.m. Please contact the Bar Association for reservations if you plan to attend. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone or iPod by searching for Work Comp Academy in the iTunes Store. They've got an app for that. Again, I'm Darlene Ball with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Thank you for joining us, and please visit us again next week for more news.